What is up, Trio? You're listening to Lessons Learned, a five-part podcast that encourages Trio students and professional staff to share their personal stories while navigating college. My name is Steven Gomez, and I'm a Trio advisor and the Paul Double Team. I have a passion for supporting students as they traverse their collegiate path, and I'm sitting down with your Trio peers and staff members to talk about their process, the obstacles they've overcome, and the lessons they've learned. Today, I'm joined by Angelica Gomez and Miranda Quinn, and Angelica is a TRIO participant, while Miranda is a TRIO alum and staff member. On this episode, we're going to dive into the stories of non-traditional students and learn how they navigate an alternative path. To start, tell us a little bit about yourselves. Miranda, shall I start? Oh, uh, I am also a double demon. I completed my bachelor's in African and Black diaspora studies and my master's in public service management with a concentration in higher education administration. I am a mother. I am a sociologist. Let's go. Here you go. People watcher. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But overall, a music uh, lover. I love hip hop. I love jazz. Trio alum and staff member now. Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Angelica? Uh, yeah, I'm Angelica or Angelica, whichever one. Um, I'm um, doing my undergrad, getting my BA in psychology. My concentration is community. And I've worked uh, in nonprofits since I was about 16. I'm 31 now. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, they, them. Uh, native Chicagoan from the West Side. I like, yeah. Yeah, no, honestly, as a conversation with somebody like last week, like you have to rep the West Side yeah. because it doesn't give any credit. Right. Give any credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I enjoy riding my bike. I like rollerblading, like dancing. Just, I don't know. I just like being out I as love much it. as possible. <laughs> awesome. Thank you both. Well, as tradition on uh, Lessons Learned, we like to jump into a pop question. Uh, so, Miranda, can you tell us? What is your first job? Oh, my first job. Um, I My first job was um, at the age of 14. Um, I work for the Chicago uh, Board of Education. Um, I begged my mom uh, the summer between my eighth grade year and my um, entering into high school to get me a work permit um, so I could be a tutor for a third grade um, summer school. Wow. So I was a tutor. My I love that. My first job was a yeah. tutor for CPS. Um, slash Chicago Board of Education. Gosh. Cool. I wish my job was just as cool as my <laughs> yeah. first job. I was a, a dishwasher. That was my first job. Okay. What, it taught me a lot of like hum- like life lessons and homework oh, lessons yeah. when yeah. you're part of that. Angelica, mm-hmm. if you could join any past or current music group, which would you want to join? So I would, I'm going to opt for being a DJ rather than in a music group. Yeah. I really like making playlists on Spotify. Shout out Spotify. <laughs> um, yeah. I Shout just, out, get a sponsor. Yeah, get that sponsorship. Um, right. I just really like seeing the crowd like vibe with music and get people moving and just like smiling and laughing. So, yeah, the playlists that I make do that most for the most part. Yeah. What kind of music? What kind of genre? Oh man, uh, I like cumbia a lot, salsa, merengue, bachata, vallenato, samba. Oh, so much. Oh, wow. yeah, I don't think I've ever heard vallenato. Even um, I think it's called chicha, chincha. Mm-hmm. I think it's from Peru. Okay. Yeah, I love like 
Well, I guess I guess the genre is like global music. Okay. okay. Even like it has a lot of like indigenous influences to it, and just to get people's bodies moving oh, yes. and like you okay. know. So this episode, we'll talk on what a non-traditional student is, some challenging barriers, and how we can best support each other. But when people talk about non-traditional college students, they are generally referring to students who do not uh, go the typical route of attending college immediately after or very soon following high school graduation. Typically, we see traditional students who fit that pattern are typically in college between the ages of like 18 to 23. But everyone has their own narrative and their own story and path. And so I'm curious from both of you if you would be willing to share your educational path. Um, I started um, on a traditional path. Um, I entered into DePaul at the age of 18. In that time, I actually became a mother at the tail end of my undergrad experience. I actually studied abroad and went to London. I was pregnant for months, almost five months pregnant. And so I didn't tell anyone in my family. Uh, I was first in family to go to college, which definitely um, a challenge for me. My mom was like, no, you should wait and, you know, have children, start, you know, your career first. So that was one thing in terms of me um, not wanting to tell my parents, bringing, you know, a sense of shame or to my family. Wind up extending my stay uh, seven years. I, I did a seven-year stint at DePaul University. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so from 2002 to uh, 2009, uh, that's when I received my degree. Um, so in uh, January of 2012 is when I entered back into DePaul as a graduate student. And then I finished that um, supposed to be two-year degree or oh, a two-year program. I finished that at August of uh, 2015. So again, with the master's degree, I didn't take the two years. Um, I took three years. Mm-hmm. Well, before we dive too deep into, you know, your uh, path, man, I would like to hear also from Alika. Yeah. Um, so I also started off on the traditional path. I actually had gotten a, a scholarship to play softball at a small D3 school in Dubuque, Iowa. And our program ended up being defunded the mm. second semester of my first year. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I couldn't afford it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, had to come home and try to figure things out. I ended up transferring out to William and Mary in Virginia and had the opportunity to play ball there a little bit as well. And then... I guess the best way to explain it is that, like, you know, chaos started happening again at home. Um, My dad uh, left our family, and I have younger siblings, so I came back um, to help my mom. Um, She fell into, like, a really deep depression. Um, So basically, I was, like, the mom, Mm -hmm. and I took care of them. Uh, I think I was 19 at the time when this happened. I, th- I honestly thought, I'm like, okay, I had talked to William and Mary. I'm like, I'm only going to take a semester. I'm going to go back to Chicago, you know, settle things, you know, help my mom get settled and stable, all that. I'm going to be back here, you know, playing ball next year. And no, here we are 10 years later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then when I turned 24, um, some people that at the job that I had at the time, they were like, you need to go back to school. Like, you need to finish. This one woman in particular, 
um, helped me throughout the whole process of applying to DePaul and like coming to um, see if I get accepted. And she would just basically tell me, you got to do this, you got to do this, and you have to do this. And I started January 2012 at DePaul, and I'm here still. Yeah. <laughs> I have about five classes left. I know, I think about both your stories, and I, you know, I'm curious to see if either you heard any like similarities. Um, I know you have different like paths yeah. in your journey, but I have some thoughts about similarities you're, that I'm hearing. Do you, either of you hear some things that you can like that relate to one another? Uh, yeah, I think it was like family is important mm-hmm. to us, yes. like the expectations, and then also being there for each other. Uh, even if like our family members can't be there in the way that we need them to be, um, there are other people outside family that will be there and like let you know, like, hey, this is what you have to do in order to achieve this Mm -hmm. um because yeah my mom at the time like even now like there's times where I I can't go to my mom for things so I go elsewhere you know like I and I'm not really close with my extended family so I don't go to them Mm -hmm. you know for life advice I go to other people Definitely, I think when you're talking about non-traditional students, uh, primarily like adult students, you have this tension between like your your familial um, obligations and your educational obligations, and sometimes that can be difficult. So, yeah, yeah. You know, as I hear both of you, you know, speak to those uh, similarities. You know, I hear some things like resiliency as oh. a key piece cultivated over time, yeah. and to tell yourself to like keep pushing. There was times where I cried. I'm I'm literally reading, uh, uh, you know, a text along with having, uh, you know, a child crying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to figure out how actually actually I was gonna feed this child. Um, or you know, in my case, um, I wanted to continue full time, um, and I needed to get childcare. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. there are barriers that that was a barrier for me yeah. with childcare, mm-hmm. and. Um, finishing my degree. Um, but I was uh, blessed to have someone. I reached out to someone. I said, hey, um, I can't get Illinois Action for Children, which is like subsidized child care um, because I'm not working full time. I want to go to school full time. Um, so she said, you know what? Give me your class schedule free of charge. Mm-hmm. I will um, take care of your child. Um, so uh, for six months, I had free child care. Yeah. And that was a blessing because mm-hmm. I was able to finish. Right. Um, that was a major barrier for me. So, Angelica, I think Miranda gave us a really good segue um, where we're talking about challenges and barriers. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a nutritional student, um, taking a, a, a challenge yourself, taking an alternative approach, you're very resilient, um, continuing to strive for your degree, and you still are, and you're getting, you're so close. I'm really curious actually to know, like, would you be willing to share some of your personal challenges and barriers that you've had to either overcome or are currently working through? I've had a lot of challenges, but I think the one that's like barriers to housing. Uh, when I took when I came back from Virginia, um, I was able to find a garden unit apartment, and that's where me and all my siblings lived. It was a one bedroom, um, and it was right here by Diversity in Ashland. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need somewhere close to DePaul, and I also wanted my siblings to. Um, have access to better schools. They were um, 10 and 11 at the time. Um, so that was a challenge. That was a, 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 a big one. And it was like, 
825 for rent. So I had to figure out, all right, I got to do that. I got to go to school. I got to make sure my siblings have food to eat. Like there's plenty of times when I would bring home stuff from DePaul, like mm-hmm. at the, you know, the events that are constantly happening on campus. I'm like, got my Tupperware and I'm bringing stuff home. Um, and yeah, I've gotten some pretty, you know, weird looks from people and like, in that moment, I kind of felt isolated because, like, I, I didn't feel, like, comfortable to tell people, like, this is what's happening. This is what I'm going through. Um, I Sometimes at DePaul, I feel like people don't really talk about that stuff. And it wasn't until maybe my second or third year at DePaul when I joined TRIO um, and that's when I felt comfortable t- um, talking to Anita. Like, she would ask me questions that were different from, like, questions my advisor would ask me. Mm-hmm. Have you eaten today? Have you drank water today? You know, do you need notebooks? Like, Miranda helped me with that, like, two weeks ago. I'm like, it might seem like a very simple thing, like, oh my gosh, I don't have a notebook. I don't have money for a notebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but simply feeling comfortable enough to go walk into TRIO and be like, hey, this is what I need. And there's no questions asked. Like, why do you need it? Like, mm-hmm. don't you have the money to mm-hmm. buy it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and where I've had to, in the past, like, I feel like I've had to justify, like, why do I need this? Mm-hmm. And even with financial aid, like, to... um. With scholarships and stuff like that, why do you need this money? To be vulnerable is a difficult thing for all of us to to be willing to um, embrace, you know, and and you eventually got to that point where you Mm -hmm. felt you could be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that you just started doing. um, But at some point, like, we come to an understanding that to be vulnerable is not a sign of weakness. Yeah, and that's, like, my family, like, I was raised, like, you know, you don't ask for help. You figure it out on your own, and you you make it, you push through, and that's it. But it's a lot easier if you help, if you ask for help. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you don't have to, I mean, there's going to be a struggle there, like, regardless, whether you ask for help or not. I understand, because I, I'm not afraid to say I was a recipient of public assistance mm-hmm. um, as mm-hmm. a, you know, a single mom. Um, I know what that feels like going into a public aid office and mm-hmm. being essentially humiliating, feeling humiliated. Mm-hmm. Um, and folks asking you about, you know, your what is your income? I don't have an income. Right. Yeah. I don't I, I'm not working. Yeah, right. and another challenge is that uh, I, I have a, di- a disability, mm-hmm. and when people meet me or see me, they're like, you don't look disabled, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm just like, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> right, right. Uh, I just want to thank you both for being so vulnerable and sharing your personal challenges and barriers that you've had to um, overcome or maybe working through still. Um, what are some of those things you've accessed now um, or potentially would access in the future? Trio has been like major for me. I haven't really accessed any of the others uh, other than like the Center for Students with Disabilities outside of the university. Uh, that's where I've gotten support as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of those organizations? Well, Thresholds is the main one that has helped me. They actually are the ones that got me a scholarship mm-hmm. so that I could finish. 
And uh, is thresholds? Uh, can you share a little bit about what? what uh, oh yeah, thresholds so thresholds is a, a mental health, like community mental health organization, and they help with housing, um, food instability, getting, uh, you know, transportation to and from appointments, a therapist, a psychiatrist, social workers. They also do research. Um, I have gone to university counseling services um, and took advantage of um, the wonderfully uh, reduced. Um, I have been involved in some of the programming as a graduate student of the uh, adult veteran and commuter student affairs. Also, the dean of students, I wound up having as, as a graduate student having to take a leave of absence, um, a medical leave of absence. So. I work closely with them. Um, the uh, McNair Scholars Program, uh, the director, uh, Michael Alderondo Jeffries, and the assistant director at the time, Doreen Hopkins, uh, they helped. Um, so it's just a matter of reaching out and letting folks know, like, hey, um, this is what's going on. And a lot of times people will accommodate, people will help. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Professors have been amazing. Like, there's been a couple classes I've had to retake because I failed them. So I retake the uh, class and they're like, oh yeah, I remember you from last quarter. And I even told them like, I'm going to have to retake this class because I did not perform to the best of my ability. I like, I know I'm an A student, mm-hmm. but all of this is happening. And they're just like, um, yeah, how do you even make it to class? And they're like, you know, I'll looking forward to see you next quarter then. Yeah, yeah I think like, you know, and here you both share uh, where we're being uh, vulnerable. We are often doing that with like a person we trust. But I think, you know, an important theme to to draw from this is that there's like a mental health, um, like a need that needs to be fulfilled mm-hmm. and as well as like an academic need. Yeah, in terms of mental health, um, like when I was um, an undergrad my sophomore year, I lived on campus, but... I just, I just went into a state of depression. It was just mm-hmm. something that came. And I tell folks, I've been to the hell of me. I know what that's like. Became a mother and mm-hmm. afterwards, mm-hmm. postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. That is rough. Mm-hmm. Also dealing with an identity crisis because I went from being a super academic high achiever to being a mom. It was really difficult in terms of connecting with folks that were, that I, you know, that were my age. And I'm just like, well, we have two different lives now. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, unfortunately, a lot of the friends that I had, we kind of grew apart because we're on different paths. I'm not ashamed to say I've seen therapists. I say, hey, that's a strength that that you that's you Mm -hmm. recognizing, realizing that you, you know, you need this. This is important. Giving yourself that uh, that grace really to take care of yourself um, and to go see therapists utilizing the university counseling center i believe that student discount is about like 25 dollars. that can also be waived mm-hmm. but you can see a counselor up to 25 sessions so something that every student is entitled to and i think it's important that we access that uh, resource while you're here but you know to begin to wrap up our conversation what advice would you give to your peers to ask for help like the moment you're like, oh, I think I need help. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or even if you don't know how to ask for help, and but you do know someone on campus that you trust, you can even say that like, hey, I think I need help. I just don't know 
and I just don't know what kind of help I need. Hmm. And um, and even if you are like a super strong, like resilient person, it is more than okay to receive help from people because I, I think that's that was something I struggled with and even now like struggle with is like allowing other people to show up for me in the way that I go hard for them. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm nodding my head so, really hard. Yeah. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, I'm learning that. Like mm-hmm. it's okay for other people to take care of you. Mm-hmm. If you're the one usually mm-hmm. taking care of everything and everyone, you know, I would say to students, don't ignore your issues away. Uh, I've done that before, and it yeah. only makes things worse. <laughs> yeah. Um, to say, hey, you know, it's just gonna your issues, your problems, whatever, is just gonna magically um, erase themselves. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to be proactive and not reactive. Go to tutoring. Go to um, supplemental instruction. Reach out to a professor and say, you know what, right now, whatever the case may be. Just to be proactive mm-hmm. um, instead of you're at week seven and you realize you're about to fail the class. I think that's wonderful advice. You both gave some really tangible and very as much as like to be vulnerable and to acknowledge when you need that support. And so thank you both for coming here and supporting me in this podcast and lessons learned. But I would like you to join me in concluding the, our podcast. And so... Uh, if you like this podcast and want to hear more or interested in sharing your story, please come into Trio, talk with your advisor, and let's get connected. I hope to see you soon. And remember, Trio, Trio works! works.